Welcome to Word of Mouth, where dentists talk about how oral health is related to overall health, which is also known as the oral systemic connection. The information provided on this video is not intended as medical advice and should not be interpreted as such. If you seek medical advice, please consult with a healthcare professional. Also, the information in this video represents the thoughts of the individual speakers, and the views expressed in this interview do not necessarily reflect the views of the IAOMT. Welcome to the Word of Mouth podcast, the podcast of the IAOMT. I'm Dr. Griffin Cole. I'm a past president and a master in the academy, and I'm here with Dr. Boyd Haley, professor emeritus of the University of Kentucky chemistry department, and uh, one of the preeminent researchers on mercury chelation and detox. So I'm so excited to have him here. I've, I've known Boyd for about 20 years now, and so this is going to be a really good podcast. You don't want to miss this. Welcome, Boyd. Thank you. First thing I want to say off the bat, thank you for being here. And, um, you know, you spent years doing so much research. And as a dentist who has been a mercury-free and safe dentist for my really my whole career, for 26 years, I started off getting teased and, and you know, laughed at and mocked. And I know you've been through that yourself. Can you just share a little bit about how toxic mercury really is in the human body? Well, it seems that the longer I work on it, the more I find out how toxic it really is. And, and just recently, I was given a, an interview. Um, Dr. McCola uh, interviewed me uh, at the ICIM meeting and uh, gave a lot of people the impression that I was a medical doctor, evidently. And so these people started sending me their urinary porphyrin mercury uh, toxic metal profiles. And, you know, because they think they're mercury toxic. And I started looking at them and I realized people that are mercury toxic have usually high levels of many other toxic metals. And I think that the concept here is that mercury, because of its vapor form and the fact that it can get into the brain and certain other tissues, starts uh, decreasing the body's ability to excrete other metals, such as cadmium, uh, thallium, thorium, uranium. Because I've seen these people, that, and we treat them with, uh, we have them get on an NBMI treatment, and it chelates those metals and gets them out, and they're all toxic. They, and they all express their toxicity in a different thing. So when we talk about mercury toxicity, you have to say mercury inhibits. I mean, it'd be my opinion, and it would make sense, and I could explain biochemically how it would happen. It would inhibit the body's ability to excrete many toxic metals. There you go. So on that note, you talked about the synergistic toxic effect of metals together, like mercury and lead, if you will, aluminum and thimerosal. Touch on that a bit. Well, uh, this was uh, work done by Schubert back in 1974, I think. And what he did is he was giving, uh, uh, looking at the uh, combined effects, synergistic effects of mercury with other metals. And uh, the one that sticks out the most was if, if you took an, uh, a level of mercury, an LD1, in other words, it would kill one rat out of 100, and if you mix that with an LD1 level of lead, the, those two together, you know, you'd think, well, one plus one would be two, and it didn't. It killed all of them, 100%. So that's synergistic. It means that the metals uh, add to each other because, and biochemically, that seems hard to explain, but it's not. It's very simple. I mean, once you occupy almost all the sites to kill one, yeah. you're, I mean, you add just a little bit on top of it, and you have really a major toxic effect. Yeah, and you showed some blood chemistries from patients where they actually had the DMSA provocation and they still had low mercury or not even detectable. You had high levels of the gadolinium and lead and all that. Explain what has to happen after that. Urinary mercury analysis sent to me with a person with Frederick's ataxia. And they're from the south. They're from a place that is widely known to be very mercury toxic. Uh, I mean, in the United States, 
It right. would be high. There's no way that this lady should have non-detectable levels of mercury. And she had none. And she had an increased, you saw the levels. They were very high in cadmium, lead. Gadolinium was high. Gadolinium was high. I mean, uh, several things. And so what it's saying, why is the mercury not there? Well, the mercury's not being excreted. That's why. I mean, it's just a matter. Something has happened uh, with her disease or with her exposures that have prevented her from excreting mercury at all. And there, if you're going to try and treat that person with Frederick's ataxia, yeah. you're going to have to get something that can go inside the body, inside the cells, and uh, so, bind the mercury and pick it out. Perfect segue for you, okay? Because emeramide, NBMI, yeah. is what you've been working on for many years. It was OSR back in the day. Um, this is the, the crux of everything that you're doing, right? This is it, because I was taught Use DMSA, use DMPS, EDTA, those are great chelators. And you described today how they don't even get in far like like it like like is needed. The mercury goes way down in the cell. So describe what a meramide does and why it's so unique. Well, a meramide is, and when I started making it, because I knew all about DMPS and DMSA, I'd read the papers where people were talking about kidneys, their kidneys getting a, uh, really sore if they took DMPS or DMSA and read the animal studies and what it says is DMSA takes the mercury from your blood and puts it in your kidney and, and causes you to have kidney failure or yeah. kidney uh, toxicity problems. And so uh, as a chemist, and that's what I've been in my whole life, I'm a, kind of a medicinal chemist type, I make compounds to solve biochemical problems. Photofinity labeling was where I got started. and. Uh, so I, I decided, you know, we don't have a good chelator. And, and you, you go to NIH and you try to get money for making a new chelator. They don't, they're not even interested, not even slightly interested. And so uh, 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 when I was research active. And so I decided, uh, and I found a very wealthy guy, Dr. Uh, 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 he wasn't a doctor. It was uh, H.B. Wallace. Sure. He was a, a person that was fairly well off, very bright but not, uh, he was a, a person that made a ton of money in uh, making chicken eggs yeah. and, and making uh, layers. Yeah. But he was a very bright guy and he became very friendly to me when the NIH uh, eliminated my grants, which I lost all my grants when I started saying mercury was involved in autism and Alzheimer's disease. I mean, it would, you would think I would said something really criminal. Uh, in their minds you did, you know? But anyway, he picked up my research and he funded me for quite some time. And uh, when I was first with the uh, IAOMT, mm -hmm. which I am very grateful to be a member of, because you guys have uh, made my life, my later life, more healthy, yeah. for certain. And uh, we're thrilled to have you. Well, that's some, some feelings mutual. Absolutely thrilled. <laughs> but but anyway, the uh, uh, bottom line is that uh, I realized. Uh, and I tell everybody this, I had a phone call from my daughter who was getting her PhD and writing her thesis yeah. at the University of Utah. Yeah. And she was working on a toxicity problem with voles that could eat uh, toxic plants and not die. Yeah. And what was the difference between them and the voles that couldn't eat it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, you know, they had an ability to excrete the toxin. And it was all through the P450 system. So I, I got very interested in her research, of course. And, but she called me one time when she was writing her thesis, and she had gone to a website. And uh, it was very critical of me. I mean, saying I want to kill children or stuff like that. I mean, it was just, just implausible. And, uh, and of course, she was, she was kind of uh, emotional about that. And, and that's when I sat down that night and decided, you know, the problem is, we can't out-PR these guys. You can't out-PR the uh, CDC, the FDA, and the NIH, and the uh, medical associations, and the pharmaceutical companies. You can't. And so let's make something that will just cure it, and you don't have to argue about it. You have to say, if you get a, 
an exposure to a toxic metal, take this compound and we'll eliminate it. And, uh, and I expected to get a lot more support. God, I hope people. so. I so yeah. hope so. I mean, bottom line, you're, you're trying to help people. That's all you're doing here. Yeah. This, this isn't about my, I've known you again. We had this talk about your daughter and everything just a few years ago when we were in Slovenia together. Yeah. And, and I saw your true heart. And I saw that, uh, how sad it is that you've worked your whole life to help people. This is what this is all about. And you've essentially been sort of blacklisted by the major, you know, major governmental entities that used to fund you. Yeah. And, and, it, and you're not alone. There's been lots of them. We, well, Marcus, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not alone. And I'm not, and I'm not yeah. looking for sympathy. I know, I know you're not, but, but, I know, I know but, but you have mine. And, 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 I just, uh, and, and, and I find it sad. And that's why we're doing things like this, because everybody needs to hear what's going on. Now talk about why it's not only effective, but safe to use, safe to take. Well, you know, the compound, when I started putting it together, I, I, I had two things, and, and this making this compound makes me look a lot smarter than I really am. Right. Because what I was trying to do was just get something that would chelate mercury that would uh, pass the cell membrane, the biomembrane. And I was working uh, as chairman of chemistry and very active in a graduate program at the University of Kentucky. And it was a, a, a faculty member there, David Atwood, who was making uh, compounds, uh, and I hired him because he was interested in treating uh, environmental mercury and environmental iron, etc. And he was making a compound, uh, his students was, were making compounds to try and bite, bind heavy metals. And he made this particular compound and it didn't work very well because it wasn't water soluble. And so taking toxic metals out of water is a different problem than taking toxic metals out of a hydrophobic body. And so I was very interested in that, so I remembered that. And so when I uh, retired from being chairman, stepped down from being chairman, I didn't retire, I immediately went into the project of trying to find something that would cross the blood-brain barrier, yeah. get into cells, and uh, bind mercury, and eliminate the mercury because the current chelators weren't doing that. And that's, uh, I, and I made a large number of compounds, by the way. And then we did a screening of them, and NBMI came out on top. And it's, uh, uh, and the compound does more, and every time, and it's called follow your nose research. I knew I had a compound that would pass through biomembranes and would bind mercury. And so then you have to find out, is it toxic? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I kind of expected the compound to be somewhat toxic because it could bind zinc and iron, et cetera. And uh, so we did our first studies. I mean, I, I don't waste time. I find out if it's going to be eliminated, I find out real quick. And so we injected rats with huge doses and kept going up and higher and higher and higher and it came down to it was getting ridiculous i couldn't give a, you know an injection under the stomach skin so they knew what got in it uh, the rats that we were injecting with nbmi never showed any sign of illness a little bit of, of uh, irritation at the sign we were injected but not very much of that at all either and uh, as a matter of fact they looked better if they got a you know reasonable amount they looked better than the rats that were control rats they were just getting the injections without the nbmi in it right and uh, so uh, we couldn't kill them. I mean, to make a long story short, you know, by injecting it subcutaneously under the flab of the stomach, we could not re even remarkably, even remotely, give them enough NBMI to make them sick. And so I thought, well, I got something that's not toxic, yeah. and, and it binds mercury, so now let's see what happens. And we did this study, it's published in uh, Toxicology and Environmental Thing, and what we did is we, we took rats and we injected them and subcutaneously in the stomach with one 
and then doubled it and then went up 14 times the lethal dose of mercury and waited 20 minutes for the mercury to dispense or, or get out through the body. And then on the other side of the stomach, we injected in NBMI yeah. one time, yeah. a single dose mm -hmm. uh, at excess level, enough to bind all the mercury that we put in anyway uh, by t over tenfold. And uh, if we injected a lethal dose, they were all dead in six days. If we gave them NBMI, they didn't even look sick. They, they never died. I mean, we had, to, we had to sacrifice them ourselves to get rid of them because we can only handle, handle so many rats. So we doubled the dose and they all died within three days, doubled the dose of mercury. And then when we gave them the NBMI, none of them died. There's the same thing all over. So my personality is, well, let's take a big jump and find out where we can kill them all. So we gave them 14 times a lethal dose. And I'm telling you that uh, when you pull the needle out, the rats were gaping. I mean, they were, they were going into convulsions. It didn't take long for that mercury to have a major effect on their neurological system. And, but we waited 20 minutes. And they were, they, all of them were still alive at 20 minutes, but none of them could walk. So on that note, talk a bit about the oxidative stress and the free radical damage that occurs, especially with mercury present. Well, mercury, mercury cannot create by itself hydroxy-free radicals. Okay. It is not an electron donor. It's not a redox metal, as we call it. Iron and copper are. So when you d induce oxidative stress with a dose of mercury, which you do, yeah. I mean, mercury. if you're mercury toxic, you're under oxidative stress. And it's because the mercury gets into different locations in the body, and this would be everywhere. Mercury goes everywhere. And when it goes there, it's going to get oxidized from Hg0, the mercury vapor goes everywhere. And then when it gets to Hg2+, what does it do? It goes and it finds a sulfur to react with. And most of the sulfurs are... Uh, 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 sites are where you bind iron, like in the electron transport system and everything. So it knocks the uh, mercury, the iron off, and the Fe2 increases in your brain, for example, and it causes oxidative stress, and that's what damages the tissue and causes the, the neurological diseases. So let's so perfect segue now from that. Uh, describe the connection with Alzheimer's and mercury. Well, you know the. This again was something I ran into inadvertently. I had a graduate student, Sabia Hatun, who did some of the early work with me on uh, uh, mercury and the photolabeling uh, uh, in, in my laboratory. And she went to work with the, uh, uh, she graduated and got a postdoc at the Aging Center at the University of Kentucky, uh, ran by Dr. Bill Marksbury at that time and John Slevin. And she was doing a postdoc in that. Uh, and she came back in, uh, to the laboratory because we were, all of us were very friendly. We'd always sit around at the end of the day and talk about what research was being accomplished. And she told me uh, people didn't know what caused Alzheimer's. And at that time, I knew what Alzheimer's was. I knew it was a dementia. Yeah. That was the extent of my knowledge about Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And uh, my technology that I was using in a cancer center was to look at uh, normal tissue, like normal breast tissue versus cancerous breast yeah, tissue right. to see what nucleotide binding proteins and phosphorylation had changed. What was the biochemistry of the trans, uh, transformation? And that's what we're working on. And I said, well, you know, just in the conversation, why don't we just look at the AD brain and see if we can see any changes? And it, it wasn't like it was hard at all. It's the simplest research I've ever done, to be honest with you, because Alzheimer's brain is a biochemical train wreck. And that biochemical train wreck is exactly like what would be a mercury toxic brain. And so we found that, we showed that the tubulin in Alzheimer's disease is over 80% disrupted, cannot be bound or cannot interact with GTP, which was their, uh, the normal thing they bind to. And then I looked at creatinine kinase, which is an enzyme that I had done a lot of studies on. Yeah. You know, structural studies, I, I call it ivy tower type research. It doesn't mean anything except you learn some knowledge. But 
Creatine kinase is a brain enzyme that's 98% inhibited in Alzheimer's disease. We determined that. We measured that. We showed that. And it was also uh, all, I mean, if you, if you add mercury to a, a controlled brain homogenate, you wipe out creatine kinase first because it's a very reactive enzyme to mercury. Right. And so that got me the idea that we should do a study uh, on the effect of toxic metals on the brain. And so we tested all of them. And aluminum doesn't develop an AD brain. Okay. Neither does lead. And everybody thought it was aluminum first. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But the bottom line, mercury is a perfect example. And following my research, and I'm not saying I'm taking credit for what they've done, uh, other people in three different countries, none of them in the United States. Right. You won't get funding to do this kind of research in the United States, not from our NIH with the ADA uh, uh, Dental Institute of Research at the NIH. Uh, we, we showed that you could uh, generate nerve fibrillary tangles, which is a diagnostic hallmark with yeah. low levels of mercury, 10 to the minus 10th molar. Yeah. That's Lorscheider's work. That's right. That's and, uh, uh, and he and I did some work uh, showing that if you uh, gave, uh, exposed rats to mercury vapor and let them breathe it, then when the mercury reached a certain level, all of a sudden the tubulin uh, wouldn't photolabel anymore, which is exactly uh, AD-like. And so then we started stretching it. To, to make a long story short, all five of the major biochemical abnormalities that you can easily uh, and are accepted by even uh, general uh, researchers in uh, Alzheimer's disease biochemistry can be mimicked by adding mercury to a normal brain or a normal test system. So, so for our listeners maybe that, that are probably saying, okay, gosh, Boyd, you know, all these, these terms, are, it's over our head. In, in the simplest terms that you can, describe that video that Laura Scheider did with the snail neuron. And well, he, he was saying, we were showing that tubulin uh, that it directs the growth of neurons was totally uh, destroyed in uh, Alzheimer's disease. I mean, 80, 90 percent, and also mostly destroyed if you had a small amount of mercury to the brain. So Dr. Laura people at Calgary, the University of Calgary right. in Canada uh, had snail neurons that they could look at. And so they decided to test my hypothesis by adding the mercury to the snails. And you could take a picture of them. Snail neurons are bigger than human neurons. And when they did that, when they added 10 to the minus 10th molar mercury to the snails, you could just see the uh, growth cones start to and then shrink and, and break down to nothing, destroying the, nerve, the, the connection and the, the brain and the synapses. Yeah. And that's what happens with Alzheimer's. You don't have any synapses. I mean, they're greatly destroyed. So, so when that video came out, because I remember that, because I got a copy of that, and I was so excited, and I thought, well, this is it, right? I mean, we were always talking about aluminum, and this, this seemed to me the most definitive, at least caught possible causation of Alzheimer's that I'd ever seen. So what happened? I mean, did we not? Well, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a, it's a point of irritation, especially when I look at advertisements by the Alzheimer's Association saying, walk together, cure Alzheimer's disease. I went to a group. Uh, they were having a conference in Lexington. So I went to some people in the Alzheimer's uh, Association that were collecting money, you know, get, raising money. And I told them about our research. And they said, well, they would take it up and uh, uh, to their higher levels, and they would uh, perhaps fund a study to yeah. look at that yeah. because they were very interested in the fact what causes a person to cross that thin red line. Because yeah. at that time, I didn't say mercury caused Alzheimer's. Yeah. I said it would make anybody that's going to get Alzheimer's disease get it quicker. Right. And uh, so we uh, did that. But when they got to the higher levels, they just shut me off. And, I understand that. And the, I mean, don't even look at the, the fact that mercury from dental amalgams might be a contributing factor. And I want to tell you that it's not only a contributive factor. I mean, I have changed my attitude since that time. I think it's a major cause. First case of Alzheimer's disease was defined in 1903. 
we started putting uh, in in the United States, uh, and uh, we started putting amalgams in people's mouths in 1850s. That's right. That's exactly and you right. can't miss an Alzheimer's disease brain. If you do, uh, if you have ever seen one, it's totally different than a human brain. And the other brains, you know, you look at them and from other types of dementia, schizophrenia, right. you can't see a difference by just looking at Alzheimer's brains look like somebody's taking a blowtorch to the brain almost. Wow. Uh, I mean, they're dramatically different. And so they can't say, well, people didn't look at them. And people have been pulling brains out of people on autopsy since about 1600 on a regular basis. So, uh, no, there's, there's no doubt. Uh, when I got my review of my one grant back, the first time NIH ever turned me down. They said, doctor, and they was talking about the mercury toxins. They said, Dr. Haley has to realize we don't want to see any more of these kind of studies. And that wasn't a scientific evaluation. The scientific evaluation, the study section evaluation of my grant was very good. Always has been. Of course. This was an administrative that's movement. Saying. And that's when I lost all my NIH funding, I mean, that I had for 25 years about. So where are we now? I know you've been through a couple levels of FDA clearance, right? Where are we exactly in the well, process? You know, uh, when? When can we get it? Well, you know, the, the main thing to remember is that we sold it for two years as a dietary antioxidant. The rationale for that is because if you read the FDA rules at that time, and I hired the top retired lawyer from the FDA to help me with this, yeah. so I know I did it right. It says, you know, you know, is a natural product or any combination of two natural products that, you know, for delivery, etc. And that's what NBMI is. It's benzoate, sodium benzoate. Right. It's in all the soft drinks you'd take. Right. It's a food preservative. It's found in cranberries and certain berries. And I attached to that cystamine, which is cysteine, an amino acid with a carboxylic acid group. And it's also found on the terminal end of coenzyme A. So I knew I ha I'm combining two very safe chemicals that are, I mean, found, I mean, like if you cook a steak, you make more aberrant chemicals than we ever do. Right. Uh, and so uh, uh, we, uh, and uh, actually uh, this, uh, I, don't want, I don't have permission to quote this uh, lawyer, but he's the one who gave me the idea. Because I was talking to him and we were doing the studies, rat studies, to get this approved as a chelator of mercury. And we had done that, and we had shown that it was totally uh, safe. You couldn't kill rats with it. Give them 1,000 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day for 28 days, and none of them died. None of them got sick. Uh, there could be some uh, subtle differences in their metabolism or so, but nothing that would indicate that it wouldn't be safe because if you're giving them 1,000 milligrams per kilogram and say you're a 75-kilogram person, right. you would take 300 milligrams. So divide 75 into 300, and you see how many milligrams a day you would take to chelate you. It's, yeah. it's just a, a markedly. I mean, so comparing 4 to 5 versus uh, 100 or 1,000 is not a, it's not a good comparison. And so the compound was incredibly safe, and then we, uh, I, I sent it to my daughter, who's a PhD, and she had a job running a laboratory in Salt Lake City at a university, and she tested it for oxidative stress. And she came back and she said, Dad, this thing is a, a, it's, a, it's so good, I, I'm, I'm afraid that you won't believe me. Yeah. And so I sent it off to uh, Brunswick Laboratories, which does it for everybody. Yeah. And they came back and they said this the compound is 200 to 300,000 uh, is the OREC score, where something like chocolate, which is a good antioxidant, is like 13,000. So this is a super antioxidant, plus it gets inside your cells. Right. And that's where the hydroxy radicals are. You know, to take them out of your blood means nothing, very little. Not, doesn't mean nothing, but it means very little. But, but anyway, it's, uh, it's oxidative. And when we, we did a food safety study on five older people and uh, five autistic children or yeah. children with neurodevelopmental disorders, and uh, 
and measured their blood glutathione levels. And every time, and they gave, we gave them 500 milligrams a day uh, as a nutritional. This was when it was OSR. And every time we measured it, their glutathione levels rose dramatically. And the guy that had Alzheimer's disease, yes. there was one of the guys yes. in there, he had a high uh, homocysteine levels, and his homocysteine levels were brought to normal with NBMI. So how did he, what did you notice about his changes? I mean, did he actually recover? I, 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 never, I never interviewed him, okay. never talked. Okay. But the people in the office said he was a cantankerous, disagreeable old man. He was the father of one of the medical doctors that did the study. Okay. And they said he turned into just a charming, happy guy. So, I, but I wasn't there, and that, that's you know that's not scientific. So I don't like talking. But okay, so 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 why didn't you keep it as a dietary supplement? Were you worried that it wouldn't get to the people that really needed it? No, uh, no, it wasn't that at all. The FDA shut me down, and the real problem was on blog sites. Mothers, there was never a single adverse effect reported to the FDA, and they have a website that everybody yeah, goes to, sure. or to our website. We kept a website and a. a, a, a adverse events reporting system, which you're supposed to do. We did it all by the legally. We never got an adverse effect. I mean, we got the adverse effects we had is there was not as many capsules in our box as you said there was, <laughs> or, or my son's peeing more than he usually does. Yeah. Is this an adverse effect? Yeah. But there wasn't a single adverse effect reported to the FDA or us. But on the blog sites, the mothers were uh, saying that the NBMI, at that time OSR, was the best thing treatment, the only treatment they had that caused any positive effect in their children. And basically the main thing they uh, bragged about was that it stopped them from having uh, bloody, I mean diarrhea and uh, uncontrollable bowel movements. And uh, they, they, they really appreciated that and that's the one that, I mean they didn't go out and ask a ton of them, but a lot of them said it stops uh, the intestinal dysbiosis is associated with autism quite a bit. And since then, we did the research with Dr. Perinotti, yes. who is an expert on the intestinal membranes and arterial membranes, and NBMI stops the leaky, the, the development of leaky gut and leaky uh, arter arteries uh, caused by mercury and mercury products, including thimerosal. And so it all makes sense now. Maybe even the, all the damage caused by all the glyphosate as well, maybe? Because that destroys the gut junctions and, and yeah. that, that just yeah. tears the gut up. So maybe that, too, boy, that'd be a whole other thing here. Yeah, well, the thing is bleomycin, we, one of the studies we did with uh, Dr. Perinotti at Ohio State University, which were landmark in my opinion, and he, but he couldn't get funded from NIH either. And I don't know why, because he was showing he had something that would stop. The initial uh, uh, formation of leaky arteries and leaky guts yeah. that leads to uh, uh, you know, leaky gut syndrome and uh, yeah. atherosclerotic uh, plaques. Uh, he, um, uh, and I, I, I can't explain that, but he was uh, doing this with mercury, methylmercury, and thimerosal. Yeah. They all are toxic to biomembranes. Yeah. And then he also, uh, they have a, a drug called bleomycin. It will start out as a drug, but now it's a toxic material. Uh, and bleomycin is used to induce COPD right. uh, in animal models. Right. And it's because it causes membranes to be leaky. If you put it in, it causes arterial membranes and intestinal membranes to become leaky at all. But bleomycin isn't something you can chelate with a heavy metal chelator. Right. Okay. And so now we're talking about the oxidative stress suppression. But bleomycin to induce oxidative stress has to displace iron, and that's probably what it does. Okay. So when we used NBMI and treated them with bleomycin, it totally inhibited bleomycin toxicity. And that's not by chelating the bleomycin. No. It's by chelating the iron that's being released by bleomycin. Right. Right. At least that's the most straightforward way of 
suggesting that. So just to follow up again on that, um, when will it be available? Well, you know, uh, we talked to, uh, we got some good advice. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not very political and I'm not very uh, business oriented, uh, but I talked to people and uh, one of the guys who was a very a good lawyer in this area told me, Dr. Haley, FDA is not going to approve you of this because it's, I could take your case and we would win it, but it would cost you a million dollars and then they would charge you with something else. So don't do it. Just go take it and run it through the FDA uh, drug approval thing because the FDA has a kind of a mantra. They don't advertise it, but it's, if something cures a disease, yeah. it can't be a food supplement. It has to be a drug and you have to take it through. So okay. if you're going to say this cures a disease, which uh, the reason they shut me down is yeah. that the mothers were saying this was curing a gut dysbiosis. You're curing a medical problem. And therefore, they, the FDA wanted me to do uh, okay. go through their program. And uh, Are we close? Yeah, we're close. We've, we've passed. We've done all the animal studies. We've done so many. We've, we've spent uh, uh, probably $10 million on animal studies showing that the compound's not toxic and that it protects against mercury toxicity because that's what we're going after. The real problem with this compound is you see that there are people who take this who have other illnesses like gadolinium toxicity, yeah. and it helps with that. And so you've got to keep that undercover because anytime you make a different claim, you have to uh, go through another FDA Right. Thing. I mean, Both another buses. 10 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. And I've gone. So we've been doing this since 2010. Yeah. And right now, the, the last meeting we had with the FDA, which I would tell you uh, went very well. We had an intelligent discussion. And uh, they uh, recommended that we do uh, three lines of study okay. uh, on animals, which we've already done, but okay. not exactly to their liking. Okay. Uh, I think ours were much more, I mean, giving a rat 14 times the lethal dose I mean, and saving them, that's, 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 that tells you you've got efficacy. Right. Well, they, th they don't think our efficacy is good enough, so they want us to show uh, what happens to the NBMI. You understand that's the toughest thing to do. Right. You take a drug, and that drug uh, binds all the mercury very quickly. And I will tell you, my opinion is NBMI will bind all the free mercury in your body within about four hours of ingestion. Right. But it doesn't repair the damage that's done. Sure. That takes, I mean, all the leaky uh, membranes and everything, that takes your body some time to repair all that. Okay. And so, uh, and we've shown that in, a, in the publication we had, yeah. that, you know, even though the rats didn't die, they still had huge amounts of mercury in their body bound on NBMI. NBMI does not work like a normal, the uh, past chelators, which bind a metal and take it out through the urine right. and you get rid of it. NBMI binds the, the metal and in the cell, inside the cell, okay. not in the blood, but inside the right. cell, and it makes it non-toxic, renders it non-chemically reactive, okay. and it does, that, it does that in the test tube also. Okay. So that's rational. That's reasonable that you would get that. But they want us to show that it does that. How do you show that? I mean, I guess if you show there's no, there's no excretion of it, I mean, how do you? Well, it does. It excretes very slowly in the fecal, but okay. it's not toxic when it goes out. But so we're, 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 we've come up with a plan, okay. and our plan is to... Uh, slowly uh, intoxicate rats with low levels of mercury for a week okay. and we've we've got we're past that point now we've okay. we know how to do that without killing them okay. and then at the end of that week sacrifice some of them look at their kidneys and show that they're toxic that's easy to do also we've done that we just did it with massive doses right away within an hour or two yeah you know? and so we're now going to take those kidneys and do a, a histology slides okay and we're going to stain it for mercury. Okay. And the ones that are mercury toxic, and we're going to show that the mercury, at least I hope so. I mean, this hasn't been done yet. We're going to show that the ones that have NBMI bound, you can't detect the mercury because the okay. mercury is covered with a, uh, a cover now.
Okay. There may be some flaw in that because I'm not a person that's ever done this right. before. Right. But we have that in, in we have that in process right now. And if we can show, I mean, if we luck out and the uh, binding of NBMI prevents it from being stained by colloidal silver. Yeah. I mean, if it can't bind to sulfur. Yeah. and inhibit enzymes, yeah. it's probably not going to bind to the it's going to The electron shells are covered with the NBMI. There you go. Unless they do something in the staining process that knocks the NBMI off, they're not going to see that, that mercury there. Okay. And it's going to cause it to be in different locations too because mercury has a tendency to tie up in high sulfur sites, and if you get NBMI, it'll be moving around in different places. So we'll see what happens. But okay. I, I think uh, uh, we have a clear pathway to getting it uh, to write, we're writing an IND this December. It's in process right now, okay. and we hope to do an NDA application uh, okay. this early this spring. Okay, and uh, you just have to go through that, and it's uh, it's been a long route, but we're, we're we've been successful. And it's not look, I'm not that I'm not that smart. I mean, you are that smart. <laughs> chemically, I know a lot, but I mean, no, about about doing work with animals and uh, clinical studies, yeah. they, it, it boggles my mind what they do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, why they do it the way they do it, but uh, so I'm not. I'm not trying to. But this compound is just almost foolproof. It's totally without toxicity, and it binds not only mercury, but about every toxic metal and things like arsenic. Uh, it binds them very tightly because they like sulfur, and this compound has two sulfurs that can adjust for the coordination chemistry of whatever metal wants to bind uh, sulfur on their coordination sites. It's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenal drug, and not because I'm so bright in making it. It just worked out that way. Yeah. However it worked out, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this. It's called Follow Your Nose Research. There you go. There you go. It makes me look a lot smarter than you I really am. And listen, you're changing the lives and well-being of millions of people, <laughs> and it's just, that's what this is all about. In this toxic world, we need you. Well, you know, and when we treated the people in Ecuador, the Ecuadorian gold mine workers yeah, yeah. that were very high in mercury. We dropped their urinary mercury levels dramatically. Some of those people were 400 micrograms of mercury uh -huh. per liter of urine, and we dropped them down to very low levels. And we did it in 10 of 11 people. The one that went up in was a person that wasn't very high to start with, and it went up 8 tenths of a microgram. I mean, nothing, you know, noise level. Yeah. And so we showed that, you know, it's tying up the mercury and not letting it go out through the kidney, which is exactly what it did in the test animals. But when it doesn't go out in the urine, it goes out in the fecal. Okay. And it stopped the toxicity. And if you looked at the David Kennedy, give him yeah. credit because David's been a big help to me. Sure. Uh, David uh, said, "Well, let's look at look at the 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 uh, adverse events yeah. in the placebo group because we're not inducing any adverse effects. They're just a normal group population." And the people that took the highest level of NBMI had about one quarter the adverse events. You know, headaches, sleepiness, diarrhea as those that were on placebo taking nothing. Mm -hmm. So we dropped. We, we helped these guys that we treated with the yeah. 300 dramatically. Yeah, you did. And I think it was something like six out of seven or a number like that that had workplace tremors, lost their workplace tremors. Yeah. There's no doubt about the, the uh, uh, energy levels. The energy levels, uh, 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 we had different things they called. Uh, I'm trying to think of the exact way of stating it. Uh, at any rate, the energy levels, mental and physical fatigue levels, improved in statistically significant. The people, the thing they noticed the most that took the thing was that their mental and physical fatigue levels dropped dramatically. And so this is what you would expect. You open up the mitochondria, they make ATP. You know, they can think better yeah. and they can work better. Yeah. And so, uh, but, it, you know, it does, what amazes me 
and there are certain few things that really amaze me, but it amazes me how the uh, organizations that claim to be there out to raise money or to serve the American or Europe, uh, the population anywhere uh, to create a healthier population that's happier. and uh, They really don't ever look at this stuff. And if you say it, they just ignore you. Yeah. I mean, I, I the one thing I've always found, uh, and this is kind of a sad thing to say, if you go to a group, uh, an organization that says, give me money because we're looking at this toxicity or this uh, disease, the first thing when you talk to them is they stick their hand out, give us money and we'll see if we can help you. Yeah. They don't say, well, what can we do to help you get right. this ready so we can treat our patients? So, right. I mean, it's, it's always an honor to talk to you, so thank yeah. you for being here. I really well, appreciate thank you. it very much. And if you want more information on our podcast, you can go to wordofmouth.iaomt.org. And I want to thank Dr. Boyd Haley once again. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll see you soon. This podcast has been brought to you by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, the IAOMT. The IAOMT strives for safer dentistry and a healthier world. We are a network of over 1,000 dentists, health professionals, and scientists who research dental products and practices, including the risks of mercury fillings, fluoride, root canals, and jawbone osteonecrosis. We are a nonprofit organization and have been dedicated to our mission of protecting public health and the environment since we were founded in 1984. You can learn more about us at www.iaomt.org and www.thesmartchoice.com. The information provided on this video is not intended as medical advice and should not be interpreted as such. If you seek medical advice, please consult with a healthcare professional. Also, the information in this video represents the thoughts of the individual speakers, and the views expressed in this interview do not necessarily reflect the views of the IAOMT, its individual members, its executive committee, its scientific advisory council, its administration, its employees, contractors, sponsors, or any other IAOMT affiliates.